Everybody knows that a turkey and some mistletoe helps make the season, helps to make the season brighter. Tiny tots with eyes all aglow will find it hard to sleep tonight because they know that Santa is on his way. Enjoy the Christmas magic, the wonder of it all, family and friends, presents, and that glorious physical rest. But first, worship the Son of God. First, worship the Son of God, or you will miss the reason for the season. If Christmas becomes all about the wonder of it all, Christ will pass before our eyes. If you forget to first deny yourself, if you forget to first deny yourself, you will miss the gospel this holiday season. You will miss the gospel if we forget that it is not all Jack Frost nipping at our nose. So we need Advent. Advent reorients Christmas. It reorients our, our focus, our gaze, our life. It turns us back away from the festivities to the Savior. That we might fix our eyes on Christ, our only hope. And there on that gaze of Christ we find rest. And in that rest, finally, you can tis the season. And you can tis the season for his glory. So enjoy the holiday. But first, worship the Son of God. And this is the rule for all of life. All of the good things that God gives you in creation. The place he has placed you with family and friends, your vocation, your hobbies, your interests, and all the good gifts he gives you. Enjoy them, but first... Worship the Son of God, or you'll miss why you exist. We will miss why we exist if we forget to deny ourselves. We live to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And that is the priority that worship alone gives us. We need worship to give us that priority. For worship, the way of worship is the way of life. And worship is actually where Mark begins his gospel. Mark begins his gospel, verse 1, with worship. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning, this is the beginning of proper worship, where we, where we find our focus on Christ, the Son of God. The beginning of the gospel, Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a confession. Worship is a confession first. So before the Yuletide log and, and fitty pudding, figgy pudding, whatever that is, fitty, figgy pudding. <laughs> you heard it. You heard me say it with that Texas accent. I know you heard it. We must first confess, before all of that, first confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. If you do not confess first that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you will miss. He will pass right before your eyes without a glimpse. And before you confess, listen up. Before you confess, first know that this confession comes with a price. Because it is the confession of the Son of God. And Son of God means we cannot live our own way. 
Mark 8, 34, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Christianity calls you to not only confess Christ as Lord and, and find eternal life, it also calls you to arise and take up your cross. Take up your cross for Christ. So you might want to miss the gospel this Christmas season. You just might want to miss the gospel if you want to make it all about you. If you want to have your own way and do your own thing, then perhaps let Christ pass before you this Christmas Eve and, and you can have jolly old Saint Nick instead. You see, Christ will not let you be you. He makes Christians. And Christians have to put away works of darkness, no matter how hard it is for our sinful flesh. The Christian life is service and suffering. Don't forget that. The holiday season with all the wonder of it all and all the joy and the presents and food and big fat bellies where you got to undo your first button in your pants and so forth, take off your belt. <laughs> That's what I'm doing tonight. But before all of that, Christian life, the Christian faith is service and suffering. It's a, churchly, it's a churchly existence too where we do not neglect the gathering of God's people as is the habit of some. So there is a commitment to the faith. There's a commitment to the confession, Jesus Christ, Son of God. There's commitment without compromise. So you might want to let the real reason for the season pass you by and just go on with old Saint Nick instead. But the cliche is true. You'll miss out on the reason for the season. Now, Mark's the beginning of the gospel. When Mark says the beginning of the gospel, Mark's beginning of the gospel finds its meaning in Genesis 1, in the beginning God. He starts his gospel just like the book begins, in the beginning. The beginning of the gospel, in the beginning God. In the beginning God did a new thing, right? We know the beginning. In the beginning God did a new thing, creation. In the beginning of the gospel, the Son of God does a new thing. Salvation. Salvation is the best gift of Christmas, for it is new life from above. And Christmas is all about salvation. Don't miss it. Don't miss the reason for Christmas. It's about salvation. And Christ will pass right before your eyes this holiday season. We know Jesus' name means Savior. Christ means Messiah, which means promise purifier. You put them together. You add Savior and purifier together. You get salvation via the purification of your sins. You add them up. It's salvation by Christ purifying, by Christ cleansing you of all your sins. Now, the Son of God, the phrase Son of God, means in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word is God. The beginning of the Son of God means incarnation, and we have beheld his glory. The glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Add it all up. You get salvation, solus Christus, soli Deo Gloria. Salvation is by Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Don't miss it. Don't miss this glorious gospel, or Christ will pass right before your eyes this holiday season. So look to Christ alone or you'll only, or you'll only have whoop-dee-doo and hickory-dock this Christmas. Now this Gloria was promised 
Promise from the beginning. Promise in Isaiah, Mark says, as it is written, verse 2, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Now the formula, as it is written, is an Old Testament expression. This Old Testament expression claims authority. This means this is authoritative. What is happening, what is being heard has authority over its hearers. As it is written, this is the word of God. This adds up to solus Christus. Sola, sola scriptura, sorry. Sola scriptura, the word of God alone. And that word of God stands over you. So let the word of God now stand over you and hear this. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. Listen to the prophet Isaiah. He says, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. And the way is purification. The way is redemption. God the Father has prepared this way long ago. Long ago in Isaiah, God prepared the way for the Son. And the Son has gone this way before. This way that Isaiah prepared, Christ has gone this way before. He's done this way. He knows the way. Listen to Exodus chapter 23, verse 20. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way. An angel guarded and guided Israel along the way to bring you to the place that I have prepared. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites, the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and blots them out. See, Christ has been delivering God's people since the fall of Adam. Whether by an angelic warrior, whether by a burning bush, or a pillar of cloud, or a rushing wind, or an angel on a dark horse. Christ has been running over serpents' heads since Genesis 3.15. Long before Grandma got ran over by a reindeer. Christ has been crushing heads from the beginning. Taking names. <laughs> He's taking names. Crushing heads. Three, the voice of the one. Who will prepare your way? The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. This quote was originally for the Jews in Babylon. Their captivity, right? Babylonians came and took Judea away. And Isaiah called for their deliverance. He called for the Syrian desert between Babylonia and Palestine to be prepared for the Lord's coming. For the Lord was coming to set his prisoners free. And that generation experienced a second exodus. Just like the first exodus, we have a second exodus. And as with Moses in the first exodus, the key to Israel's salvation was Yahweh's presence. Prepare the way of the Lord. The way of the Lord. Yahweh with us. God with his people will deliver. Salvation has always come. God with us. Salvation has always been Emmanuel. So Christ is God with us. Don't miss it. Or he will pass right before your eyes this holiday season and all you'll get is old Saint Nick. And don't forget about the real Saint Nick. Long before old Saint Nick was drawn up into a jolly old figure... He's truly known for slapping the ancient heretic Arius for denying Christ's deity. Too bad that holiday tradition didn't stink, stick, right? 
slapping heretics. I can, <laughs> I can stand behind that holiday season, that holiday tree. I'd be really busy in Missoula, so maybe not. <laughs> so John appeared. That's how Mark says, prepare the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared. John appeared. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Out of nowhere, John appeared in fulfillment of Elijah to prepare the way of the king, to prepare for the king. And before the coming of the king, notice how the people have to first be washed. Before the king can come, the people have to be cleansed. And, and we've seen this before. We've always seen this. Coming out of Egypt, Israel, delivered out of the house of bondage to go be in the promised land, to be with God and his people, so that God could be his people. But to be there, they had to be washed. As they passed through the Red Sea, they were cleansed to be with God. At the building of the tabernacle in the wilderness, after they finished the tabernacle, and God would tabernacle with his people, God would be with his people, but first Moses had to baptize them with hyssop. Before Yahweh could lead, before Yahweh could tabernacle with his people, they had to be washed, God with us. They had to be Messiahed, they had to be purified, they had to be cleansed. Baptism. And notice that John proclaimed a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He, now look at the text. He, it was a baptism of repentance, and it's for the forgiveness of sins. Did John the Baptist's baptism forgive sins? That's what the text says. Proclaiming a baptism for repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Does baptism forgive sins? It really depends on how you see the water. It really depends on what you see in the water. If you see in the water nothing but water, just simply H2O, and then you doing your part, you doing your thing, and, and you're proclaiming that you're a Christian and all the world to see. If it's simply just water being poured as a mere visible sign, and you proclaiming, then obviously no, water does not save, nor does your proclaiming Christ save you. The water does nothing. But if you see in the water judgment, if you see in the water Pharaoh being consumed, if you see in the water Pharaoh being drowned and his army being consumed by the wrath of God, then you must see Christ who was consumed by those same waters. Consumed by those waters of judgment. The waters overcame Christ in your place. So you see your sins judged, condemned, and washed away in the baptismal font. For in those waters, Christ crushes, has crushed, and is crushing your sinful nature by his blood. If baptism is regenerative waters, we hear they're the waters of regeneration in Titus. If they are regenerative waters, then see the new creation like the days of Noah 
when the waters dried up, revealing a new earth. Or the waters that separated the Jordan so Israel could pass through into the promised land. New life, separated from that old life, new life. And so these waters separate us from the world and make us new. If you see in the waters God's work, then baptism is a work of God through the removal of sin and new life by the shedding of the blood of the Lamb as John the Baptist taught us in John's gospel. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Baptism is God's work. So see beyond the water, the blood, and the spirit of Christ and know that we are washed from our sins spiritually as our bodies are physically washed with water. Our sins have been messiahed. In Christ, your sins are messiahed, purified, washed, no more. You are clean. Christ will pass right before our eyes without a glimpse if we do not see the gospel in the water, in the bread, in the wine. Verse 5. And all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. John appeared. He's baptizing the church. Notice he proclaims. There's an order here. He proclaims. They're baptized. They confess. It's liturgical. <laughs> there's liturgy. There's an order here. There's movement. Because Advent is liturgical itself. There's a movement and an order. And that movement and order of Advent should be in our liturgy. We need liturgy so that we can deny ourselves, worship God as he wills, and he will not pass before us through reverence and awe, through acceptable worship. But without it, he will pass before our eyes. Without acceptable worship, God will pass before our eyes without ever a glimpse. Verse 6, now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt round his waist and ate locusts and honey. That's Elijah, right? He's just, he's looking like Elijah. That's what Elijah did. Remember, Elijah wore a garment of hair and leather belt around his waist. And now John announces the fulfillment of Israel's destiny by calling attention away from himself. Verse 7, and he preached saying, if you're going to underline anything in this verse, in this chapter, maybe just underline preached. He preached. He preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. That's good preaching right there. Mightier than I. Without that kind of preaching, Christ will be missed by his church this Lord's Day. That's the way of every Lord's Day. The focus of the church every Lord's Day is mightier than I. Christ and him crucified. We need Christ-centered preaching. Without Christ-centered preaching, this Advent, this Christmas Eve, Christmas Christ will pass before our eyes without ever a sight. That's the way of every Lord's Day. We need one mightier than I. Because no other preaching, right? Think about it. We're called to deny ourselves. But no other preaching other than mightier than I will cause us to deny ourselves. We need the preaching of one mightier than I to cause us to humble ourselves, deny ourselves, stand up, take his cross, and follow. 
Christ and him crucified is the reason for the season. Worship the Son of God first or else the gospel will be missed this Christmas. Verse 8. He says, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. We know that Christ came to set his people free. But he came to set the prisoners free, not by a crown. You see, Christ had all the power. He could ascend. He could have ascended Caesar's throne and ripped the crown off his head and, and claimed, a, claimed a throne. But he came not by throne. But something better. He came by a cross. He came by the cross because he had to be Messiah. And by the cross, Christ died, and by the cross, he rose again. And that's what it means to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It means the Holy Spirit is now making a kingdom not of this world. It is a resurrected kingdom. You belong to a resurrected kingdom. A kingdom not of this world. The kingdom of God, hence the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit baptism means that Christ now reigns. The Son of God who has come, he's prepared his way. He has come. All of it is the entrance, the announcement of the entrance of the great King of Kings. The great King of Kings comes by power of the Holy Spirit. And in the Spirit, we today have Emmanuel. We have Emmanuel in baptism. God with us. We have Emmanuel in the Lord's Supper. Christ with us. Christ in us. We have Emmanuel in the preaching of the gospel. So that we might have Emmanuel in our life. Emmanuel with us. God with us. Christ in us. And because it is Emmanuel, we've been Messiahed by God with us. Washed clean. By faith in Christ, no matter your sin or the sinful nature with which you will struggle your whole life long, there is now no more condemnation. You are clean. You are pure. So there's no separation. God will never leave or forsake you. You've been Emmanueled. You've been Messiahed. So here's the moral of the Christmas story. Deny yourself, which means put away your good works. All those things you would lift up to God to see approval, throw them away. They're garbage, filthy rags. Deny your good works, all your supposed merit before a holy God, and receive Christ instead. Receive Christ. Rest in his salvation, for he has washed away all your sins. He's given you new life. So worship the Son. Confess his name, trust his gospel, and find his peace. Find his peace. And now you can roast some chestnuts on an open fire and even dress up like Eskimos if you wish. But I think I'll go try to figure out how to revive that St. Nicholas tradition. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible be glory now and forevermore. Amen. Let us pray.
At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.